Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. Tiny Vampires is a member of the Agora Podcast Network. This is episode 10. Do mosquitoes transmit plant diseases? I'm Raven Forrest Fruscalzo, your host. Today's topic was posted on the website by Steve McGrew. Thanks, Steve. Uh, this topic was a tricky one because most mosquito research has been focused on the interactions between humans and mosquitoes. Both male and female mosquitoes use sugar as their energy source. If only provided with blood, most mosquito species will actually starve to death. They obtain this sugar from plants, either by drinking nectar from the flowers like butterflies do, or by piercing the plant and drinking the sap directly from the leaves, just like aphids. Through their entire adult lives, both males and females feed from plants, while only females seek out blood, and that's usually only two to three times in their entire life. Many species even require a sugar meal before they have the energy to hunt down a blood meal. I'm not completely dispassionate on this subject because my PhD research is related to this mosquito-plant interaction. I'm actually trying to use the DNA in the guts of mosquitoes to discover which plants they're feeding on the most. With this information, we can do something like research how certain flowers around our home increase or decrease the number of mosquitoes. Or we can find out which odors the mosquitoes are using to find their favorite plant, and then use those odors in bait traps. It's only been in the past few years that researchers have been interested in discovering the answers to these sorts of questions. The short answer to Steve's question is, we don't really know for sure. But don't worry, I'm not just going to stop the episode there, because I can't answer his question. (laughs) Together, let's walk through building a hypothesis for whether they are likely to transmit or not. To form a good hypothesis, we have to start with what we already know. When I first got this question, the things that I asked myself first were, one, do insects ever transmit diseases to plants? Two, 
do mosquitoes inject saliva into plants when they're feeding from them? Because that's how mosquitoes transmit diseases from human to human. Three, are there any pathogens found in mosquitoes that are from an unknown origin? And four, is there anything stopping a mosquito from ingesting plant pathogens? To answer the first question, we do know that there are quite a few plant diseases that are transmitted from plant to plant by insects that are feeding on those plants. Food crops like citrus, which can be misshapen and discolored by bacteria that causes the citrus stubborn disease, is spread by the bites of leafhopper insects. This transmission is in much the same way the mosquitoes spread disease from person to person. This infection can reduce a tree's production by up to 52%. So while the plant disease may not put people in the hospital, it can impact the economy of agricultural communities and our ability to feed a growing human population. To answer the second question, when mosquitoes feed from plants, do they inject saliva? This is really important information because when mosquitoes are transmitting a disease pathogen, be it a virus, a bacteria, a parasite, these pathogens must move from the vector into the host. Mosquitoes don't regurgitate the contents of their guts into their host. So, to make their way from the gut to the mouth parts, many pathogens have evolved to move from the mosquito's gut, through the mosquito's body fluids, and into the mosquito's salivary glands. If the mosquito is injecting saliva, there is a route for a pathogen to get out of the mosquito and into the plant. There are also other methods, such as just having bacteria on their feet and then landing on plants, or having some kind of pathogen in their feces and then having droppings on the plants. So these are the three routes from which mosquitoes can transmit diseases to plants. The third question, are there any pathogens in mosquitoes of unknown origins? There are bacteria called spiroplasma which are found in adult mosquitoes, but not in the young, meaning that it must be picked up after they emerge as adults. This type of bacteria is typically found in insects or in plants, so it appears that we found a good suspect, at least for the transmission from plants to mosquitoes, maybe not the other way around. It was discovered that these spiroplasma do affect mosquitoes' health, but we don't know if they're harming the plants, if indeed they're coming from the plants. Looks like the tables are turned, and we may have found a plant that vectors diseases to mosquitoes. So the last question. Is there anything that could lead us to think that there's something stopping mosquitoes from picking up pathogens from plants? The answer to this is yes. The salivary glands of mosquitoes produce antibiotics when they're feeding from plants. These antibacterial enzymes mix with the nectar and are possibly there to prevent the mosquitoes from picking up bacteria from the plants that might make them sick. This contradicts the idea that the spiroplasma we were just talking about are actually coming from plants. This happens a lot in science. 
There are good reasons for thinking the bacteria transmission between plants and mosquitoes, and there's good reasons to think that there isn't. The only way to find out what's true is design a way to investigate that helps us come as close to a conclusion as we can. We have to eliminate all of the variables that could be influencing the experiment one way or another, and then get a really good idea of what's actually going on. Now, I'm in a bit of a bind because this part of the episode is where we would go over a paper that answers the question that's sent in by the listener. But like I said, as of right now, we don't really have a paper that could answer Steve's question directly with any satisfaction. After a long reading-intensive search through the whole month of August, my lab mate, who studies fruit flies, told me about a paper that was just published on the 16th of August by a laboratory in Germany. It's primarily about fruit flies, but they also looked into mosquitoes on the side. This paper is called Pathogenic Bacteria Enhanced Dispersal Through Alteration of Drosophila Social Communication, and it's by Ian Keasley et al. Drosophila is the scientific name for fruit flies. These flies, houseflies, midges, mosquitoes, all these sorts of flies are all related. They belong to an order called Diptera. So sometimes, if something is true for one, it's possible that it's true for another member of the order. Keep that in mind while I go off on a little side road. In this study, they're looking at three different bacteria that can impact both insects and plants. One causes the plant disease, cucurbit yellow vine disease where plants like watermelons, pumpkins, and squash start rotting on the vine. The second bacteria that they looked into attacks many different crops, from tomatoes to lettuce to irises in your garden, causing them to become watery and start smelling foul, generally just start rotting, either in the field or when they're in storage. The third infects plants, but doesn't really harm them. All three of these types of bacteria infect and kill diptera. The researchers were wondering how these bacteria are transferred from flies to plants and from one fly to another. So they set up a series of behavioral experiments. Inside of a plastic container, they placed smaller containers, set up so that the flies could crawl in but they couldn't crawl out. This is aptly named a trap assay. First, they wanted to see if the bacteria alone were attractive to the flies, so they put the bacteria inside of one of the inner containers and the control in the other container. Then they released a bunch of these fruit flies into the larger container and let them have 24 hours. The next day, they found that the flies avoided the container with the bacteria alone and either stayed in the outer area or went into the control trap. Then they put an infected fly in one trap and a healthy fly in the other. Many more flies were attracted to the sick fly than they were to the healthy one. So something about the fly being sick, other than just the bacteria itself, was attracting them. The researchers knew that flies, like many insects, use pheromones, or scents that come off of their body, 
to communicate with each other. One of these pheromones is called an aggregate pheromone, and it calls all of the flies in the area. Keasley's group thought that maybe the bacteria was forcing the fly to produce these aggregating pheromones, calling more and more flies to the sick ones, thus spreading the disease. In insects, pheromones are found on the exoskeletons. So the researchers washed a bunch of the sick flies and then a bunch of the healthy flies. Then they took the fluid the flies were washed with and analyzed the chemical makeup of these solutions. They found that the sick flies produce a lot more of the aggregating pheromones that attract other flies. But how do the plants tie into this? The bacteria is passed out of the flies to the plants through the fly's feces. These bacteria, once they infect the fly, cause the fly to overproduce the pheromone to the point where it actually comes out in their dung. So, all of the other flies being called to the sick fly and its species would not only get these new flies sick, it also results in all of these sick flies buzzing around from plant to plant, their feces dropping on the plant and spreading the bacteria. During these studies, the researchers were wondering, how widespread is this pheromone hijacking? If it can happen to fruit flies, could it happen to bottle flies or even mosquitoes? This is where our blood-sucking friends come into the paper, although really in only one paragraph. They found that one of these bacteria, when it infects Aedes aegypti, the yellow fever mosquito, it affects the mosquito's pheromones which seems as though we finally found the answer to Steve's question. Except that the only bacteria they tested on these mosquitoes was the one of the three that actually doesn't cause disease in the plants. So, as of right now, we have some evidence that mosquitoes might be transmitting plant diseases. But until someone tests the plant pathogens on the mosquitoes, we won't know for sure. With all of this being said, it may not be very satisfying that I took a question that we don't actually know the answer to just yet, but that is really what science is all about. We find these gaps in our knowledge, and we try to design a good quality experiment that can tell us something that humans never knew before. It's very possible that Kesey and the rest of their team are working on this question right now. Along the way, the amazing thing that we discovered is that there are at least two different bacteria that use plants as a vector to cause disease in mosquitoes. And if you ask me, it's always an interesting plot point whenever you find out that the bad guy is actually the victim. Many times, it isn't until we start looking into some gap in human knowledge that we discover how important the answer to that question can be to humankind. Discovering a mosquito-transmitted plant disease could lead to some totally new human-friendly and environmentally friendly means of controlling mosquitoes and reducing the transmission of disease. Or it might just fill in some mystery about the lives of mosquitoes that we never knew before. And it isn't directly applicable to human health, but we don't know until we dive in and start discovering. 
Now that we're at the end of today's episode, I want to remind you that Raquel has posted three Spanish language episodes on the website, and I'm working on getting them up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn to make it a fully-fledged parallel podcast. Please let your Spanish-speaking friends and family know about it if you think that they might be interested in it. Raquel has put in a lot of work into this project, and I think it's turning out really great. Also, now that Tiny Vampires is a part of the Agora Podcast Network, I'll be telling you about all of the interesting things the network is up to. This month's interesting tidbit is Agora's other new podcast, other than Tiny Vampires, and it's called Cannonball. The hosts of Cannonball are reading all of the books in Harold Bloom's Western Canon. If you're anything like me, your reaction to that is, who is Harold Bloom and what the heck is a Western canon? Uh, so I'll fill you in. Harold Bloom is a bigwig in the world of literature, and he put together a list of authors that he felt impacted Western culture the most. After listening to episode one, I'm already hooked, and I'm already listening to the Canterbury Tales in anticipation of listening to episode two. It's kind of like a book club, but for all of those books that you should have read in high school, but probably didn't, and now will actually really appreciate as an adult. As for Tiny Vampires, our next topic is West Nile virus, and the connection between wild birds and human disease. The topic was suggested by Kim Cook. West Nile has been found in surveillance flocks of birds all over the country recently, and all over the world. So this should be a fairly timely episode. I hope that you found and continue to find this podcast informative. Please visit my blog, tinyvampires.com, to get links and more information about Mosquito's love for all things sugar, a link to the Cannonball podcast, show notes, music credits, and more. As always, if you have any arthropod or disease questions you would like to be the topic of a future episode, or if you have corrections, please send it through the Tiny Vampires blog contact page or on Facebook. Thank you for listening. From me, Raven Forrest Friscalzo, PhD student at the University of Notre Dame and funded by the National Science Foundation. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.